0: This is the Author Archive podcast. I'm David Freeman. Many of these conversations were held in the studios. Some were held at the Langham Hotel in the West End of London. But this conversation with the great Colin Dexter happened in his house in Oxford. I'd interviewed Colin on numerous occasions. We'd done a stage show together and he'd become a chum. And he talked to me about all of the things that he had in common with his creation. They both liked beer. They both liked crosswords, as became clear in this conversation. And they both liked opera. But there must have been things, I asked Colin, that were different.
1: Well, I mean, I'm an extraordinarily generous, so, I mean, you know that, don't you? But uh, uh, poor poor old... uh, Poor old Lewis had to fork out for nine-tenths of the booze, didn't he? I mean, Morse never said thank you to anybody, certainly not to Lewis. lacked all sense of uh, graciousness and gratitude until right at the end in the remorseful day, a little bit. But I hope I'm not like Morse in those respects, and I don't think I am.
0: No, but how did you manage to construct this character that had this negative thing? As you, you once said to me that not paying your round is a, a sin a little worse than adultery.
1: Did I say that? You yeah, did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but still, people found him alluring. Yes, I, I think that when when you say how did I make him up, I mean I made him up as I went along. I mean I had no, no great master plan for what he was ever uh, like at all, but I thought it would be, be a good thing for, for him to have some of the delights in life which I had. For example, uh, listening to Wagner or doing crossword puzzles or that, 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 that sort of thing, or, or reading the poets of the latter half of the 19th century. I mean that was easy because I knew something about all of them and so I think I could write fairly well about that. I didn't want him to be too goody-goody a man. I think why people have liked him is precisely because he is a mixture uh, think above all he's so so vulnerable, sensitive to poetry, vulnerable, especially of course to very beautiful uh, women and so on. I think think the older women, some of them anyway, think that they would rather like to mother him and uh, shuffle over all his papers together and perhaps cook a meal for him. I think some of the younger admirers of uh, the Chief Inspector might well, you know, think uh, that they would like him to take them out, maybe even take them to bed, I, I don't know. I think there are the two strands with the women anyway.
0: When you started writing The Remorseful Day, you knew it was going to be the last book, didn't you? Yes, I did, yeah. Was, was this then difficult? Because you had to kind of
1: tie up a lot of ends. Yes. I just felt that I'd written 13 full-length novels about Morse and about seven or eight short stories. And I just felt that I was losing all freshness about this. Not, not just the fact of getting older uh, and, and having uh, fewer and fewer ideas. I, I felt that I'd said enough about the relationship between Morse and Lewis. I felt the whole thing was... Uh, in a sense coming to the point where I knew that it was a bit of an effort to think of uh, new conversation, new dialogue, new plots and everything. And, uh, And so I thought I'd done enough. This is always the case with a series character. You begin to wonder whether or not there's anything more that is a bit fresher than you can think of to say. And I think it was time that I stopped.
0: But you, you gave him a backstory. you gave him even more vulnerability, didn't you? It was almost, with the, with what, the big things um, for readers of the early books were, what, what was his name, yeah. and you solved that one. Then, then what was his relationship with women? If he was this attractive man, why had he never settled down? Why had he never married? Why had he never had children? And y- y- you look at that in the last book, don't you?
1: Yes, I think he always had some women, you know. I mean, people write to me and say, you know, why, why please don't you put Morse to bed slightly more frequently with some worthy or preferably unworthy woman? And, and uh, I, I try to write back to everybody, well, I do, uh, and, and say that you know, you've not read my my mortal works very carefully because the old boy doesn't really do do too badly at all. So I think he's had many uh, girlfriends and enjoyed them very much. But what he never wanted to do was to lose his uh, his individuality as a personal man. I, I think he didn't want to lose his independence. I don't think he wanted to explain and apologise. Why occasionally perhaps he had too much. Uh, scotch to drink or didn't behave particularly well. He didn't have to do that. He he, he was uh, his own man and he didn't want to share this. I think this is Chandler's uh, mistake in the last book. I'm a huge Chandler fan but he got uh, Marlowe married off and it wasn't quite the same when he lay there in bed happy and cosy and all the rest of it. He'd, he'd missed something because he needed this element of independence in his life and he lost it. Morse never lost that. Mm-hmm.
0: Chandler is a writer of Time and Place. You're a writer of Time and Place. We're sitting in your Oxford home and one of the delights of your man is that those of us who know Oxford, you know every step of where he went.
1: How important was, you, was that for you as the, as the creator? The, the topography of Oxford. Well, yes. it, well it was an enormously important uh, for a strange reason, and that is I knew nothing else about anything. I mean, uh, although my relations with the police were very friendly, and I've done a lot with and for the police, I haven't the faintest idea what a murder investigation is like at all i've never seen a murder tape play i've met one or two murderers for for a few minutes but uh, but for, no, for for no longer so i knew nothing about police procedure or anything like that i know that in the future if i were to keep up with the the the, the new century i would have to uh, know what uh, DNA was and all this sort of thing. I, I don't even know what DNA stands for. And I think you've got to do this if you're going to keep abreast of what is happening. But with me I knew nothing whatsoever about police procedures, so the only thing I could compensate with was knowing an awful lot about Oxford. So, I do hope that, if, you, if certain in reading the books, not in following the television because of parking problems you can't really do it, but in a book you could walk down, we're in the Banbury Road, you walk down here and you could say, well I'm going to turn right at the first big road and you say that's Squitchy Lane, it's a lovely name isn't it? So you say, "You walk down here and you say oh yeah I'm in Squitchy Lane and I, I think for some strange reason people delight in retracing steps of a place they know or even if they don't know it they feel they'd like to go and of course people do know Oxford don't they from the television and on the television of course the people said oh yeah I've never been to Oxford but I would love to go and so I have have been very very faithful topographically if that is the word with all the streets and the place names and the pubs when I say place names and street names and so on always try to change the number <laughs> of a house uh, where, where a couple of murders have been committed. I know that I did one in Jericho, for example, and I had a, had a call from the housing agent said, you know, you, you're not doing doing me much good because nobody wants to buy the house, you know, in the little lane, I think it's called Coombe Reach, I call it Canal Road, Canal Reach or something. Don't, nobody wants to buy it.
0: Talking of putting murders in Jericho, which is a nice little
1: uh, sub-area of Oxford, how many murders were you responsible for? Well, I only know this because a few years ago, somebody said that they had faithfully counted them up on the television, and that was 69. And I did keep a tally after that, and and the score now is 81. 81 body bags in Oxford. So perhaps one of the reasons for, for, not really, but why I often say this, for stopping Morse was, it's about time Oxford became a slightly safer place. And I know that when, when I was with John Thor, once a woman said to him, please uh, sign, sign a book, you know, please sign a book, and, and he said, well, I said, what about me, you know, uh, you know I wrote the thing, oh, and I don't want <laughs> you Just said, I want John Thor, and she said to John, uh, it's a lovely place, Oxford. But I'm never going to send any of my children here. Far, far too dangerous a place.
0: What do you do with yourself now? Oh. Um, and because. I mean, you you once said to me, only half-jokingly, that uh, you used to write Morse in that little bit
1: of the day. Between Between the arches. And the pubs opening. And and going out for a few pints. Yeah, so what do you do now? Well, I've never been, been, you you put your finger on it, haven't you? I mean, I've never been a full-time writer. i spent all my life in education, so it was always very much a short, a little part of my life. But I I do uh, write an awful lot now. I I mean, uh, we've just been away for a few days, an enormous number of letters... I never catch up with letters, so my, my writing now is on correspondence and has been this last what, 20 years, I suppose, partly. But uh, uh, I, I do spend a lot of time writing letters to everybody, and I mow the lawn. I still occasionally have a, a pint of beer and maybe a, a very, very occasional glass of uh, whiskey. And so, plenty, plenty to do in life.
0: You've become this household. Name in mean, here, they've named this. I mean, the biggest hotel in town, they've named a bar after the man y- y- you invented. You're known internationally, but it doesn't seem to have changed you much.
1: Well, I suppose, in a way, that I, I feel proudest in life of, of having been a school teacher. I, mean, I didn't spend long as a school teacher, I spent all my life in education, but I only spent 13 years after I, I I'd finished at university, and then I, I was a school teacher. And and I think I'm, I'm more proud in life of having taught boys and in the latter part boys and girls of that 13 years. Uh, and I, I had one wonderful gift as a, a school teacher. I could get people through examinations wonderfully well, far better than they they deserved. I don't think I was any good as an educationist. I mean, I don't think I, I ever said anything significant or valuable about anybody. But I taught an awful lot of wonderful children. I taught them Latin and Greek, and. Uh, for me, looking back on that and the gratitude that those children had to me, because I, as I say, I was a very good school teacher. I don't think I was ever so good at anything else, very good. But I think I was a, 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 an extraordinarily good school teacher, compared with, I think, many other people, and compared and uh, uh, remembering what people still write to me about those old days. So I'm proudest of that in life, really. And I think if anything would have changed me, it is the fact that I had to stop teaching, because uh, I couldn't cope. I lost the hearing in the left ear overnight, fifty odd years ago, forty-five years ago, and uh, you can't teach unless you have some uh, dialogue between yourself as a teacher and the, and the boys and girls in front of you can't do it. And so I had to pack that up, that was a big, uh, a big minus, but of course it brought with it the big plus of coming to Oxford, where I work here for, as you know, for the examina- University Examination Board. And of course, uh, it brought with it the, the, the possibility of writing a, a series of detective stories about a place I knew awfully well, beginning to know awfully well. So, so there are pluses and minuses in life. And it was a huge plus, huge plus for me to come to Oxford. Of course it was.
0: Weren't you also proud of your, your skill
1: with the crosswords? doesn't that give you pleasure? Yeah, yes, uh, yes, yes, I suppose so. I'm, I'm not quite so good now. I, I, as you know, I was a re- really, I probably told you, I, I was once a number one uh, – uh, well, more than once – but I'm not quite so quick now. I, I think we all get a little bit slower mentally. Don't we lose, lose 30,000 brain cells a day after the age of 28? Is that right? Something like that. Well, I think, you know, you have an awful lot to start with, David, I mean, we oughtn't to get too worried, or you, you oughtn't to get too worried. <laughs> yeah. But um, Morse got his name from another crossword champion, didn't he? He did indeed, and Lewis, yes. When, when I first started, I thought, you need some names, and names are awfully difficult. I think almost all, all writers would say, unless you get the right name for a character, you're unhappy you've got a chap and a woman or whoever you've got and you feel not happy writing about them unless you feel you've got the right name. And I just cho- chose the two competitors and rivals in the crossword world whom I admired the most. And one was Sir Jeremy Morse, who was at the time as chairman of Lloyd's Bank and president of the International Monetary Fund and also a, a, a fellow of All all the rest of it, wonderfully able and clever man. And he was number one, and and the one who was number two was a Mrs. B. Lewis, Mrs. B. Lewis.
0: And that's how Morse and Lewis came to be Morse and Lewis. How Endeavour came to be Morse's name is another story. That was Colin Dexter talking to me in his Oxford house. This is the Author Archive. I'm David Freeman.